Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers Podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Well, hello. How are you doing today, friend? Now, in case somebody hasn't already, I just want to check in with you. It's important to know that people see us, you know, the real life us and not the stuff we put on social media, right? And I do see you. You're busting your butt to make sure your students or your staff are supported. You're working insane hours and you're still showing up every single day. You are amazing in case somebody hasn't told you that today. Now, today's topic is something that I'm so excited to chat about with you. I recently read the book, The Road Back to You from Ian Morgan Cron. Maybe some of you have read it. I also took his online course that accompanies the book, and I'm telling you, this subject is fascinating. Now, I am a person who loves to to kind of dig into what makes people tick. I think that's really interesting, and this fits the bill. Basically, the book and course are all about something called the Enneagram, which by the way, can I just say, I want to call it the Enneagram. I don't know why when I look at it because it starts with an E. um, I just want to say that, but it's Enneagram. (laughs) The Enneagram is a set of nine classifications that help us understand human psychology on a deeper level, both for ourselves and about others. And like I said, I find this work fascinating, just so interesting, because I could immediately begin to see which number I aligned most with, and more importantly, where others in my life also fit. And then soon, I started walking around my office. You can ask my teammates. I walked around the office like saying things like, that is such an eight thing to say, and you are totally being a nine right now. (laughs) Now, it's important to note that people are people, right? We're not numbers, and none of us are going to fit completely into a specific bucket because that's the beauty of humanity. Me personally, I actually scored a 98% in one category, a 94% in another, and an 85% in another. So there's three that really kind of make me up, but the one that takes precedence, I mean, I can tell, is the the dominant one, okay? Um, And so when you take the test, and I will have links to a free uh, test that you can take so that you can kind of determine for yourself, you'll see that too, that you are a blend, right? Um, But once we know the nine categories of the Enneagram, along with their positive and negative tendencies, we can begin to understand how we all relate with each other. You can begin to understand what you need and what other people in your life need from you. Now, in the short amount of time that I've been working with this tool, I have already seen such a difference in how I interact with my husband, my daughter, and my team which is why I wanted to share these nine categories with you today and the basics of the Enneagram, because I think it's going to change how you connect, communicate, and relate to your to others and to yourself. Um, if you are an educator, if you're an administrator, if you are a business owner, um, these are the things that are going to help you really move forward with people no matter where you are. So let's dive in. 
At its core, the Enneagram is a personality test. Now, we've all taken these kinds of tests before. Things like the Myers-Briggs, the DISC assessment. Some of you have taken the DISC assessment. And others um, have given us insights into our preferences for learning, responding, and showing up in the world. I don't know if any of you, the rest of you are INFJs from the Myers-Briggs, but that would be me. Uh, so the Enneagram itself isn't a novel concept, but it is different in that it helps us to first become more self-aware and then how that interacts with others. The Enneagram takes into account the fluid nature of personality, which constantly adapts as circumstances change. So you're not just one thing all the time. As circumstances change, you might float between the numbers that make you up, right? So um, that's what's really interesting about the Enneagram. So this can help us to learn things like why people react to situations the way that they do, the communication style you might want to choose with each member of your team or your class, how to encourage every member of your team or all the students in your class in a way that really matters to them, uh, the role that each team member or student will thrive in. That's really important. How to create common ground among colleagues or those that you're in relationship with and how you can reduce conflict. And I don't know anybody who wouldn't want to reduce conflict right now. <laughs> These are big ideas that we are always struggling with in some respect because people are always evolving and growing, including ourselves. So sometimes we're in a healthy space and our natural traits are helping us, right? But other times we get trapped in self-defeating behaviors, leaving us in a more negative space or state of mind. The Enneagram can help us understand when we or others are acting in a healthy way and when we've moved into the unhealthy territory so that we can recognize it and adjust as necessary. Uh, there was, my husband is a great country music fan and particularly loves Garth Brooks. So anytime Garth Brooks is on TV, you know, that's where our channel is tuned. And uh, uh, Garth Brooks had a special come out recently and he was talking about something that he learned about his, from his dad when his dad reminded him that what's good about you is also what's bad about you. It's two sides of the same coin. So the Enneagram really works in that way. As we move through each of the Enneagram types, as I share them with you, I want you to consider how these traits show up in your own life on both sides of that coin. It's going to get a little uncomfortable. It's going to feel like, oh, this sounds like it's picking on me. It's not because what's bad is also what's good. And what's good can also be what's not so good. All right. So let's go over the nine Enneagram types. Remember, we are not pigeonholing anybody here. These are broad brushstrokes, okay? So you probably won't fit exclusively into one type or another, but do try to determine which type most sounds like you or if you can imagine someone in your life who could fit into that type because that is gonna help you visualize how each type can interact. I'm gonna tell you right now, I score a really high three followed by a one and a part of a six, okay? That is the, the blend of me. But as I went through all of these types, I could picture in my mind a person in my life who is that kind of a type as a dominant trait. 
And that has helped me to understand how I can relate to others and how they relate to me, how these types can work together. All right. Also, as Ian advises us, we need to think about how we would respond to situations around the age of our early 20s, because that's when our personality is at its most heightened level. So I want you to think back, if you are beyond maybe 21 at this point, I want you to think back to your 21-year-old self, and would this have described you at that period of time? Because even if we're older, we still carry that dominant personality with us. It might have softened a bit, but it's it's uh, the core of us. All right. Let's dig in. Type one is called the reformer or the perfectionist. So these friends are principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic, right? They are perfectionists. They see a never-ending need to perfect themselves, others, and the world. They love to teach other people how to do things the right way, quote unquote, the right way, and often say to themselves, if I want it done right, I'll need to do it myself. If you have said that, you've got some one tendencies, and that's cool, right? Type ones also tend to have an underlying feeling of anger or resentment towards others, but they're constantly trying to make things better. Now, I want to clarify this a little bit. Um, Ian talks about the idea that there is a feeling underneath the triads of the Enneagram. And again, I'm going to include links so that if you want to dig into this further, you can. I'm just brushing the surface today. But um, there is anger or resentment in one of the triads. There is uh, cerebral thinking in another, like your head, and there is feeling or your gut um, in another. So these aren't bad things. It's just that there is this underlying energy And so it's not bad that you might have this underlying feeling of anger or resentment, but if you're honest with yourself as a one, this is going to ring true for you. It's going to feel uncomfortable. And so as somebody who has a a lot of one tendencies, (laughs) scored in the high 90 percentile for this, um, I, I can tell you that that part sounds true to me. I don't like it, but it sounds true right? Ones are also sticklers for getting things done on time or before, and they live with the world's worst critic, themselves. Nothing that you can say to a one is going to be worse than what they've already thought themselves. They often beat themselves up for even the tiniest little mistake. And that manifests for me when I say things like, oh, come on, Riley, you know better than that. I can't believe, and I will literally have this loop going through my head for uh, maybe hours, depending on what it was. So here's how to connect with a one. Try to help them shift their focus to what's right instead of what's wrong. Oftentimes, they're going to go right into that critic mindset. Help them think about the good stuff that happened. Give plenty of meaningful, specific praise, right? Don't lay flowery stuff all over them. You're so wonderful. You're this, you're that, because that makes a one feel like you're not being genuine. If you're going to give praise, be very specific. I loved this particular project, or I loved how you handled that situation, okay? But don't expect gushy praise in return. They don't give it. (laughs) Ones are not going to give it. And I say that in all beauty and honesty because my mother is a high one and I love her dearly. But I remember as a kid wanting her to just gush over praise with it and that's not what she did. But when she gave me praise, when she was specific, man, that was the best feeling in the world. Rules are important to one. So respect structure and boundaries that are in place. Um, Don't try to, to kind of 
make it all fluid. They really want to stick with their rules and boundaries if you can. Now, if you're a one, try journaling your thoughts and then being compassionate with yourself when you read it back. Look at what you're writing about yourself and consider, would you say this to someone else? If you wouldn't say it to somebody else, don't say it to yourself. Uh, Be aware of how you receive feedback from others and try to accept it without being defensive. I am going to be honest, I work on this all the time. I want feedback. There's a part of me that really wants feedback, but what I really want is for the feedback to just be, this is great. <laughs> um, I, anything that comes out that's not, this is great, makes me immediately defensive. And I have to work on thinking, let the defenses go and see what you can learn from this. Okay. Also resist the urge to always do the work yourself. Try to actively work to delegate tasks and then look for the good in what others produce or share. All right, moving on to type two, which is the helper. Type twos are caring, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. They are positive and people-oriented, right? These are the folks who know how everybody else is doing. When you go out and say to them, what's the pulse right now? They can tell you, and they will, right? They love to help and offer advice. These are the people that, like, when you go to their desk and you're eating a piece of chocolate that they have in a dish because they know that you like it, and you have a, a brief conversation about it. They're going to tell you, you know, what you might want to consider there and they want to help you. They also have a tendency to put everybody else first. So here's how you connect with the two. Show them that you care about them with words of affirmation, right? These are the people who have a temperature of the culture at any given time. So be sure to ask them about the general consensus because they will tell you. And then Make sure that you acknowledge them for that and give them praise. They thrive on that. These are kind-hearted people, but they do hate to be taken advantage of. So be sure to never take that kindness for granted. Um, Somebody in our office, one of our, our teammates, is a high two, and I... I will never forget when she worked and worked and worked on something and my my one tendency came out and I was like, great job on that one thing. And she just needs so much more, um, not as a needy way, but just for her, that felt dismissive. It felt as though I was not um, acknowledging all of the work that she put in. And so I have to remind myself with her and connect with her to really give her the acknowledgement that she deserves, not that she needs, but that she really deserves. Now, if you're a two, instead of hinting around at what you need, be direct with people and ask for it. Twos are notorious for this. They'll kind of give drop hints here and there, but they're not um, ever going to come out and directly say, hey, I want this, right? Um, And so oftentimes people won't hit the mark because they don't know because there was only hints given, right? So instead of hinting around, be direct with people and ask for it. It's going to be hard, but try it. Practice saying no without an explanation because no can be a complete sentence. Your value is not tied to what others think of you. Okay, so often you put yourself first or you put others first and you put yourself last. Try flipping that. And I promise you that nobody's going to think less of you because you took a moment for yourself. Right. All right. Type three, the achiever performer. Type threes are the typical type A personalities. So if you've been called a type A, you probably have some type three tendencies. 
These folks are success-oriented, adaptive, driven, and image-conscious, okay? Again, I'm feeling this because this is part of me, so if you got a little, ooh, about the image-conscious piece, I feel you. They believe that their value is in their achievements, right? That, that they themselves are not valuable just because they're a human, that their value lies in the achievements and the things that they work on. These folks are extremely resilient. They have big dreams, but they're often called workaholics. That would be me. And I know it's many of you as educators, because this is, this is a reminder that many educators fall into this type three. They have an inner desire to always succeed and to avoid failure at any cost. Often, these people will complete twice the work in half the amount of time it would take anybody else. So if you know somebody who is a three, yeah, raise your hand wherever you are. Yeah, nod your head, do something. I guarantee you that if you are not a three, you know a three, okay? These are the people that just, they are the workhorses in an organization because they love it. They thrive on it, okay? Now, how to connect with a three? Help them win in all kinds of situations. They don't want to fail, right? But try hard not to criticize them in public. So if you need to criticize them or if you need to provide some feedback, do it in private. Don't do it in front of another person. Even one other person, it's going gonna, it's gonna to trigger them in a negative way. Let them know the goals for a project or what you're working toward so that they can feel a sense of purpose and know where you want to go. Because once they know where you want to go, they're going to drive to get there. And remind them often that their value is in who they are and not in what they achieve or produce. Now, if you're a three, it's critical for you to get perspective. So for many, that's going to mean a regular prayer practice, meditation, exercise, something that gets you away from the daily tasks, which I know is going to be stressful for you at first, but it's going to help. Ask yourself who you are outside of your job. Now, this is scary, but it's necessary for all threes, because for each hour that you're working, you are sacrificing something else. And I say this with love because I've had to have these hard conversations. Consider what or who you are sacrificing by focusing on your job. And go on at least one trip a year and do not bring work with you. Take email notifications off your phone. Just try that. Okay, it's again, it's gonna, you're gonna have an itch for like two days, but then you'll be able to settle in. All right, type fours. The individualist or the romantic. Now, I got thrown by the word romantic. I'm like, oh, the flowery people, this is, you know. <laughs> but that's not quite right. Really, it's the creatives, right? These are the most creative people on the Enneagram. They feel things deeply and they connect to the world through their feelings. These people are very expressive. They're dramatic and can be self-absorbed and temperamental. I got some I got a lot of love for the fours in my life because I as a musician, as a trained musician who went to Westminster Choir College, I can tell you this was the majority of the people that were there and I love them dearly. Um, fours also bring out a lot of out-of-the-box thinking to the table, which is why many artists are a strong type four. They value being unique and special and they respond positively anytime that they can shine right? So here's how you connect with a four. You got to allow the fours in your life to be big picture thinkers and give them moments where they do shine, 
right? Don't give them a lot of details to focus on. That's, that's not where their, their passion is. <laughs> also, make sure that they know that you appreciate them just for who they are and not merely for what they do or what they can give. This is the opposite of a three, right? The threes need to, they feel like they're valued because of that. Fours feel valued for who they are and who they are expressing, right? Fours also thrive with one-on-one time and value individual connections. So again, I've learned this the hard way with people um, throughout our organization. When uh, a four wants to talk with you, if you, are a, if you are in business or if you are an administrator, and a four wants to talk with you, and you go back to, here's how the the chain of command works, right? You got to go through this person or through this person, and they're going to bring it to me because that's most efficient. I get that that's most efficient, but that is going to rock a four to their core. They need the one-on-one time with you because, again, they need to know that you value them as a person. Now, if you're a four, Try not to take everything personally and don't automatically think that everything is about you. It's not. It's going to feel like it is, but it's not. Instead, flip the script to listen outside of yourself. Try to listen from a 30,000 foot view instead of taking it so personally. Also, be careful not to instigate drama or problems because of your own charged emotional state. You know when you are in that high emotion zone, um, don't step back from a situation. Just kind of remove yourself from it and give yourself time to cool off first. Giving yourself 24 hours to sit with something is always going to be a good idea for you. Don't get stuck fantasizing about the ideal situation. Like oftentimes fours will go into something wholeheartedly um, because they've created this beautiful utopian vision about it. And then when they get into it, like not less than a day or two later, they're like, oh, this is not anything like what I thought. I'm done. I can't do this. And then they back out. So it makes them look flaky. They're not. They just have this utopia and things don't match that vision. So don't get stuck in that that force, okay? Instead, get to work on the work and then see where that takes you. And as Ian says, when the past calls, let it go to voicemail. It has nothing new to say to you. I love that quote from, from Ian. <laughs> All right, type five is the investigator. Now, if fours are the most creative people in the Enneagram, fives are the most practical, these are intense, perspective, or perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated people who live mostly in their minds, okay? They're very cerebral about decisions, and they tend to overthink things. People who are coders, people who are software developers often fit into the fives because they are so logical and analytical. Um, these folks hate working on teams or doing group work. They just, they would rather do it themselves. Um, They also tend to have a scarcity mindset and they hoard things. Okay. Now, when we think of hoarding, we think of just possessions, but hoarding could also go with hoarding time. They, They keep time to themselves or money, love, knowledge. They love to collect little bits of knowledge that nobody else has, right? Privacy. Oh, they, they are the, some of the most private people and they want to hold on to that privacy, Um, as much as possible. Affection, material possessions, or even thoughts. They can hoard all of that. More than anything, fives are afraid of looking foolish in front of others or as though they don't have all the answers. So they will often push down their feelings or thoughts 
rather than experiencing them fully for fear that somebody else is going to see them as weak. Okay. Now here's how to connect with a five. Fives love anything rational and technical. So try to give them time or space to prepare for a conversation or presentation. Also, don't force them to participate in group decisions and never, ever, ever put them on the spot. Now, if you're a five, try participating in a conversation, even if you're not sure of the answer. Try sharing a bit more of yourself with others and trust that they won't misuse that information. And practice moving beyond a scarcity mentality. Do small experiments of buying items you wouldn't normally buy or sharing details that you might otherwise keep to yourself. I I know lots of kiddos who are fives. Um, And sometimes they feel like the most challenging kids to connect with. But if you understand what they need as a five, man, if you make a connection with them, they are some of the best people in your sphere because they can just light up. All right. Type six is the loyalist. Now, type sixes have a deep seated need for security. Okay. These folks are engaging, responsible, anxious, and often referred to as worry warts, right? Now, I told you, I've got some tendencies of a six. I have deep-seated need for security in a lot of different ways in my life. And so if you are a worry wart, you're somebody who is concerned about things or you can find yourself going on the worry train and it keeps you up at night, you've got some tendencies of a six. But the best part of a six is that they will keep you safe, They are the ones who see the possible dangers of a situation or a problem or a solution, and they bring that to our attention before we get way too far down the line, right? They save a lot of us from going way too far. They are driven by an inner need to be secure at all times, and they often play devil's advocate, which can drive others crazy. Think about those staff meetings where somebody raises their hand and you just want to go home, but they're the ones who are back there going, yeah, but what about this, right? They're the devil's advocate. They can make us crazy, but it's helpful for seeing all sides of an issue. It helps us all go in with eyes wide open. Sixes also have a tendency to take on too much work and then get overly stressed because it all seems really overwhelming. And here's how you connect with a six. Try to break down large tasks or problems into smaller pieces with a six. Work with them to defeat their worst case scenario tendencies, right? The best way to do this is to acknowledge that worst case and then ask what we would need to do if the worst case scenario actually happened. So I do this with myself all the time. I think about, all right, if if we lose everything tomorrow and I'm homeless in a box on the street, right? Um, what, What would happen then? What would we need to do then? Um, And I can immediately either work on a solution and and know that I'd be okay, or I can remind myself this is never going to happen, right? There's just, there's, that's not going to happen. That's silly. And I've gone too far. So um, that will often help break apart that big, scary future into manageable steps that could be taken, which in turn helps them feel more secure. Now, if you're a six, Often you have a monkey mind where thoughts jump from branch to branch in our brains. So find some time to calm your mind and allow yourself to process those thoughts more fully. So when you begin focusing on the what if scenarios, like what if this happens and what if that happens, try to remember a time when you had a problem and it worked out for good. 
right? It, it worked out on its own or it worked out in a positive way. Remind yourself of that and learn to recognize the difference between real fear, like you are seriously in danger right now because somebody is standing in front of you and it's a really scary situation, or if it's free-floating anxiety where it's just a what if, okay? Recognize the difference there and then try to diminish that anxiety if you can. All right, type seven is the enthusiast. So sevens are the feel-good people on the Enneagram. Ian calls them joy bombs. These individuals are busy, fun-loving people. They are spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. They have boundless energy, default to optimism, and live for pleasure. They make great team players because they make friends wherever they go, and they love moving at a fast pace. You know those people whose hands are in just about everything? Those are sevens. Now, how do you connect with a seven? You want to offer flexibility whenever possible, but always have boundaries set up so that they don't go too far. Sevens need room to roam, but they also need to know where to stop. Sevens need to be held accountable, but not micromanaged. So give them goals to hit, but don't tell them exactly step-by-step how to get there. And then offer independence where you can and let them get creative with their environment. If you're a seven, try to practice moderation. You don't have to go in, you don't have to go all in all the time, right? It will feel uncomfortable, but develop a practice of solitude where you can reflect and make amends with people if you need to. Sometimes sevens don't even realize that they've hurt somebody or that they've overstepped. And so you need to be able to sit in quiet for a minute and go, ooh, that might not have been so good. I need to go and apologize. Um, and then try to just hold space for them to, to, for a, for other people to feel sad if they need to. Sevens will oftentimes, when somebody is sad, try to cheer them up right away. And sometimes people don't need to be cheered up. They just need somebody to allow them to feel sad. So try to just keep that space open for others when they come to you with that. All right, type eight is the challenger. Now, I laugh at this because there is a person on our team who the minute that I heard this was, I went, oh my gosh, this is so her. And when you hear this, if you have an eight in your life, you're going to do the same thing. So challengers operate at a different vibrational level than anyone else. Type eights are a powerful, dominating type. They are self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. They love confrontation. Um, I take that back. They love being able to step up and power up in those situations, but they don't necessarily like confrontation itself. They don't want to. They don't want to have arguments all the time. They do, however, want to step up and engage with people. So it feels confrontational. When they step into a room, it's as if they suck up all the energy, and it flows like a power surge from their fingertips, right? So this kind of intensity can be intimidating to others. And that, and so this type is often mistakenly called a bully. But if you were to tell an eight that they were a bully, they would be completely shocked. They would think that they are just being straightforward and honest. Eights hate to feel like they are, that they need to be taken care of or that they're weak in any way but they will always advocate for others that they think cannot fight for themselves. So here's how you connect with an eight. When an eight powers up, that's what Ian calls it, powers up into an aggressive stance, you need to also power up and meet them where they are. 
right? That And when you do that, it will diffuse the situation right away. They need to know that you can power up as well. They also value honest, direct, and regular feedback and not flowery praise in any way. Um, they don't want to, don't try to sandwich feedback for them. We, we talk about sandwiching in education a lot, where you start with the positive, you give them some things to work on, and then you end with the positive. Don't do that with an eight. Eights are like, I know what you're doing to me. Just get straight to the point. So stop the sandwiching and tell them directly, but kindly, what the feedback is. All right. Um, Eights also need clear boundaries so they know how far that they can go with you. They will respect those boundaries, but that you have to tell them what they are first. All right. If you're an eight, find someone who can tell you honestly when you've gone too far. The person on my team who is an eight, she and I know we've, we've worked this situation quite frequently. have gotten to a great spot where she knows that I will tell her if she goes too far. Um, and, and we respect that relationship. Sometimes you're not going to know that you've gone overboard and you need to have somebody else hold up that mirror for you, but it needs to be somebody that you can trust. Your personality is twice as big and intense as you think it is, right? So if you step over a boundary, if you're an eight and you step over a boundary, make an unqualified apology without an excuse or explanation, Hold back your tendency to act impulsively because you often are just immediate. You're just right out there. Um, And so sometimes you just need to give yourself time to reflect on what you want to say or do before actually saying or doing it. All right, almost done. Now we're at type nine, the peacemaker. Peacemaker, this is what who my husband is. There's another person in our office who is also a peacemaker. Um, our, the peacemakers are, I love peacemakers. They are easygoing, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. I think my husband, when I talked to him about this, and he was like, you make it sound like I'm, I'm a Labrador retriever. It kind of is true, right? <laughs> These people just want everyone to get along, and they're willing to sacrifice their own happiness to do so. They want to avoid conflict and maintain connections as much as possible. And they also seem to move more slowly. Um, so others mistakenly accuse them of being lazy. I know that I've done this with Kevin Quibbett. <laughs> but in reality, nines are just taking their time and appreciating the moment. Nines sometimes need to zone out when the world becomes too much, right? Like if there's too much stimulus, they just need, um, you know, time to zone. And that might look like playing a video game or flipping through TV channels or scrolling social media, which again goes back to that thing where we look at them and we're like, oh my gosh, you're being so lazy. But what's actually happening is that they're really looking for a way to relax And they don't have access to a real way to relax just yet. So they're willing to accept a cheap imitation of relaxation when it's not possible or available. Now, here's how you connect with a nine. First of all, don't offer too many choices at once. Uh, If you are a person who says, what do you want to do about dinner? And uh, you have a nine in your life. The nine's going to say, I don't know. What do you want to (laughs) do? And if you're a three or a one or anything like that, like me, this is going to drive you crazy, right? Instead, a better way to do that question is to say, do you feel like um, Chinese or Mexican tonight? Which, which cuisine do you want to go with? Because giving them two choices, they can easily pick and then you can head in that direction, Okay. Um, nines are extremely generous, so be careful not to take advantage of that. 
Um, don't just expect them to be generous with their time or their or their money or their material or whatever or their affection. Make sure that you acknowledge that you see that and you're you are grateful for it. And don't pressure a nine to perform as this is going to backfire and cause them to stall. If they feel pressure to perform a certain way, it, it makes them just freeze like a deer in headlights. Okay. Now, if you're a nine, it is okay to have your own opinions. You don't have to always make everything okay for everybody. You can have your own opinions and they might be different than others. When faced with a choice, try to consider whether your default selection is because you want it or because you think it's what others want or need. Okay, think about that. Resist the urge to use passive aggressive behaviors. This is a tendency of nines and you know it is. So instead of being passive aggressive, ask for or say exactly what you want. Now, one other thing to consider nines, your ability to connect with others is a gift, but don't let yourself get lost in the process. Continue to ask yourself, what do I want? That's a hard question for you. So make sure that you continue to ask it of yourself. All right. So how do we put this to work, right? Um, Now that we know the basics of the Enneagram and a big broad overview of each type, what comes next with that? Well, Since this is a personality test that helps you to know yourself better, I'd recommend starting with the actual test to find your type. And we have that over on the show notes so you can easily find it. When you do this, you're mostly, you're most likely going to get your top three, right? And that's because we're not all one type. So you'll have characteristics from several types that blend to make your unique mix. Once you know your general type, you can then begin to think about how you approach situations, conflicts, and even happy moments in your life. Just start watching yourself and your reactions. This is really powerful because you can see how you behave in both a healthy and an unhealthy fashion. We all do both. It reveals ways that you can continue to grow and get better. And as teachers and leaders, it helps us understand how we can relate to our students and staff in more meaningful ways. From there, you can begin to use your understanding of the nine types to recognize trigger behaviors in others. So the next time that you're met with a difficult conversation or person, you can take a step back and think about what traits you're seeing rise to the top. And then take a look at what that person's personality type might need in order for them to feel seen and heard. And that is going to change the dynamic of that conversation or that situation very quickly. Like I said, the Enneagram has changed how I approach my relationships with students and staff and my family and even myself. If you're looking for more information or to dive deeper into this concept yourself, be sure to visit the site today over at artsintegration.com forward slash spark chasers for links to the books and courses and a free Enneagram test that you can take. I hope that today's overview has given you some tools to help chase the spark of relationship building in your own life. That's it for today. I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash spark chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.